Hello and welcome to Name Drop San Diego. I'm Christy Totten, your host along with Abby Hamblin. Whether you're a new or seasoned gardener, a houseplant fanatic, or just someone who wants to grow basil on your windowsill, our guest this week has something to share. She's a botanist, a sustainability activist, a garden designer, and a journalist with bylines in the LA Times, Sunset Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, and more. I'm talking about Nan Sturman, AKA the Water Wise Gardener. We know Nan here in San Diego for hosting A Growing Passion on KPBS, and she also writes a column for our newspaper, the San Diego Union Tribune. It comes out every first Saturday of the month. In this episode, Nan diagnoses common plant problems, shares some of her favorite gardens in town, and talks about how gardening reflects life. I was really inspired by this conversation. I hope you will be too. Here's our interview with Nan Sturman. first one is about the explosion of houseplants we've seen during the pandemic. It seems like everybody's apartment has sort of turned into a jungle. Did you try anything new, you know, while everything was closed down? In terms of houseplants? Um, you know, what's funny, I did houseplants many, many years ago. And then I, I was like, I got enough outside plants. I don't need any more houseplants. But I have been collecting houseplants again. And, um, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I've ha I have some orchids that are blooming that are doing great. I never had success with orchids before. And the thing with orchids is you have to have the right spot. You have to have the right light and all that kind of stuff. I didn't have that until about a year ago. We remodeled our kitchen and the way the new kitchen is configured, there's a window where they're going crazy. And, you know, it's just something that I told myself, well, I'm not, so I'm great at this and this and this. I'm not so good at orchids. I'm not even gonna bother, but people have been giving them to me as gifts. And the orchids are like, they're thriving. So I'm thrilled. That's yeah. so exciting. I had an orchid once that bloomed a second time. That's only happened once. And it was, it was super exciting. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about houseplants. I find it like a lot easier to take care of houseplants than I do anything I try to grow outside. Am I just doing something totally wrong or no, do you have no. the same experience? It totally depends on the houseplant. For one thing, the things that are available to us as houseplants are pretty bulletproof. I mean, otherwise the stores wouldn't offer them. Um, and the other thing is a house plant is in your face all the time, right? So you pay attention to it. You don't have to go outside and look at it. And you know, you're it's it's in your space. So house plants tend to um, I don't know that they're easier, they're just you pay better attention to them. And there are some house plants that are just so easy, like Sansevieria. Okay, so I had a Sansevieria in a pot in the kitchen and it was, it's beautiful. I bought it because it was variegated, which means it's striped, so it's like cream and, and green colored. It was really an unusual combination. I had it in the kitchen. The quarantine started. My husband moved his office into the house. He decided that he was going to take over one of the bedrooms. And he went around like picking plants to put into his office. And it's all his office, so I'm not going in there. And I went in there about, I don't know, two weeks ago. And we're talking and I noticed the sense of area and I said, honey, when's the last time you watered that? And he looks at me and he goes, watered? Okay, <laughs> that was like a year. Wow. Those last in low light for like a year without having to be watered. I mean, you have to water them, but I took it and I watered it right away. You couldn't really tell that there was much difference, but it's just those, those are unusually easy plants to grow in the house. 
that sounds like something I should try then. <laughs> did, did you do anything outdoors? Um, you know, especially since we couldn't go a lot of places when things were closed down, maybe you had more time or were just more focused at home. Did you do anything unique outside at your house during that time? Well, I had my best vegetable garden in many, 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 many years last summer because in March, which was when the, the quarantine started, I'm usually running around the county teaching hands-on seed starting workshops. And I had six or seven of them scheduled. We got through one and I had to cancel the rest. So, and, and my work, you know, plummeted, just like, you know, everybody else is basically, we're sitting around trying to, wondering what's gonna happen next. So I had the time to put in my vegetable garden that I usually, you know, just sort of, you know, try to find a few minutes here and there. I had lots of time and it was a great garden. It was an absolute great garden. This year I put the vegetable garden, um, I'm sorry, the seed starting workshop online. So I've been running that. Um, actually, there's still a couple of openings there if anybody's interested. But um, so I've spent a lot of time making that happen. I haven't had quite as much time for my vegetable garden. It still started, but I had to, I had to go through the whole process because I had to videotape it and break it up into the workshop segment. So, you know, it's going, but last year's was fabulous, just fabulous. So you definitely are known as someone to go to for advice. What do you, what, what do you think is like the most common question you get or what do people feel, what does it seem that people most desperately need help with? They need help with knowing that just because there's a hole in the leaf or some little bug somewhere that it's not a big deal. Like don't go reaching for this neem or whatever. Don't do that. The thing people have, the people think plants should be perfect. There is no perfection in a garden. Plants are not perfect. It, 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 this comes up all the time. If you see that, you know, there's an edge or a, you know, eaten or a hole or whatever it is, look at your plant. Your plant has hundreds or thousands of leaves. They are made that way for a reason. There are predators that eat plants. It's okay. There's a natural balance. Your, your, your plant, first of all, people don't realize that the point of leaf to photosynthesize and make energy for the plant so the plant can grow, make flowers and make seeds have another generation, right? It's always the goal is to make flowers, make seeds, have enough, another generation. That's the plant's goal. It's not here to please us. It, that's what it's there for. So you have to respect that and you have to acknowledge that and realize that nothing is going to be perfect. It's never gonna look like the photo, but it's fine. Whatever it is, is absolutely fine. If you find that there's a bug or a critter eating your plants, the first thing to do, and you don't want them to, and it, you know, it's to a point where it's really bothersome. You know, like, the first question is, is this a problem? If it's not a problem, fine, don't bother. You know, there's nothing you have to do. If it's seriously a problem, figure out what is causing the problem, what is, eating your plant? What is causing those black spots? What is that yucky stuff that's hanging off the bottom of the leaf, the, the, the fuzzy white stuff? Whatever it is, what is causing the problem? You've got to diagnose it just like a doctor diagnoses an illness because you can't just give somebody antibiotics, you know, they're having a heart attack. It, it, you have to find out what's happening. Once you figure out what the problem is, then your first question is, what can I do differently in my garden so that that pest is not attracted to that plant? So if you have, you know, like in summer when you have fruit ripening and those green beetles come searching after the fruit, have you ever seen them? They're big, they're like uh, 
half dollar size or bigger and they buzz around and they don't, I think they don't see very well because sometimes they hit you in the head. Well, a lot, they're coming because they're attracted to rotting fruit. So if you have yeah. fruit trees and the fruit falls and you're leaving it on the ground, the first thing to do is to pick up that rotting fruit and move it away. And you don't have to spray anything. You don't have to go to the nursery. You just clean up, right? So, you know, you've, you've, or if you have aphids on your plants, the first thing to do is to see, do I have ants? Because ants move aphids around the garden. Aphids do something really interesting. Aphids, scale, and mealybug are what we call sucking insects. They suck the juices, that sugary photosynthate, which is the energy the plant makes, out of the plant, and that's what they eat. But they also poop out a little bit of it. We call it an, an excretion. That's a you know, <laughs> term, but it's really their, their version of our poop. And so it's, we call it honeydew. It's a little drop of sticky stuff. The ants collect that, take it to their nest, and that's what they use to feed their young. So ants will physically pick up aphids and move them to plants in your garden because they're what we call farming the aphids. So if you have aphids, the first thing to look for is, do I have ants? Wow. Ants, and I can't, I have to control the ants in order to get rid of the aphids. You can get rid of the aphids, but the ants are just going to bring more. So you've got to, you know, break, break that cycle. You've got to get rid of the ants. And then, you know, everyone says, oh, I've got aphids. I've got to spray neem. I've got to spray this, spray that. No, you don't. You need to take a sharp stream of water, wash them off because they're really soft bodied. And the pressure, the, the impact from the water will kill them. And if that doesn't, the fall to the ground will kill them. So it's really simple. Mm -hmm. The same thing with like powdery mildew. Oh, I've got to cut all my leaves off. No, you don't. I mean, you might need to take some off, but powdery mildew tells you that there's not good air circulation in the plant. And so what's happening is as the leaves re release their moisture into the air, because they do, that's just like when we, when we exhale, we have moisture that comes out of our, our, in our breath, right? So, and when we, we sweat, we release moisture into the air. Well, plants do something similar. They do, they, they have moisture evaporate from their leaves. And then when they are metabolizing, they transpire it, which is like for us when we exhale. So we call it evapotranspiration. So, Moisture comes off the surface of the leaves. And then a day like today, where it's really humid in the air, there's a lot of moisture that is in the leaf, the vicinity of the leaves. Well, that's perfect conditions for powdery mildew. So what do you do when you have powdery mildew? You look at your plant and you say, can I selectively remove some branches to increase the air circulation? Hmm. And then another thing you can do is early in the day on a sunny day, just rinse off the leaves because they're those are spores. They land, they're everywhere, they're in the air. That's what the mildew is. They land on the leaves, and when the it's moist enough, they start to to divide and they proliferate. And that's what you get that powdery wet white stuff. You can wash it off early in the day so that the leaves dry by the end of the day. And that's another thing you can do to, to help control powdery mildew. So there's very easy, you know, you have to you have to look at your plants and begin to think about what is the problem. How can I solve it easily before I reach for anything that's toxic? Usually there are very simple solutions to problems. I'm not for everything, but usually there's a very simple solution that can eliminate enough of the problem that your plant's gonna do fine. 
I learned so much right now just about sort of the circle of life and diagnosing plant problems. But a lot of the time to me, it just sounded like you were talking about life. You're like, it's not supposed to be perfect. It's never going to look like yeah. the picture. Is it a real problem? You know, and if it is a problem, like how, how serious is it? I don't know. Maybe that's just where I am in my life. But I mean, I like, you're, what, you're spot what, on. You're spot on. What does gardening do for you in that way? I mean, it's great, right? You get to grow things, you get to grow things you eat, you get to grow things that are, you know, beautiful to admire. But, uh, you know, what does it mean to you sort of? personally? Well, that's such a deep question. I love the cyclical nature of gardening. I love the circle of life that happens in the garden. I love planting something that's six inches tall. And five years later, it's 20 feet tall. I love taking a seed, a seed. This is the magic of seeds starting from seeds to me for vegetable gardens. You look at a seed, it looks like a piece of dead wood. Right? You have no idea the life that's in that seed, the life potential. It, well, it is life. And, and you take that little tiny seed. A tomato seed is so small that if you're not careful, you could drop it on the floor and never find it. A basil seed looks like, if you ever see the size of a poppy seed, a basil seed is even smaller. And you, you give them moisture, you give them the right temperature, you give them light, and they feed you. In, in a few weeks, they're feeding you. That is amazing. And I'm not making it happen. I'm facilitating it, right? Tomatoes are going to drop their seeds and reseed no matter what. But I'm facilitating I'm making it happen in a way that I want to happen. I'm participating in nature. I'm making something beautiful. When I design gardens, I feel like I'm painting with plants. I, I always think about people who are interior designers. And I'm sure that's really satisfying. But when you're an interior designer and you put a sofa in a room, it's always gonna be that size, that shape, that color in that spot, unless somebody moves it. So when I plant a, gar a plant in somebody's garden, it's gonna be different in five minutes. It's gonna be different in five months. It's gonna be different in five years. It's gonna be different in 50 years. And hopefully it'll still be there. And I don't really know what it's gonna be, but I have a pretty good sense of what it's gonna be. I mean, I chose that plant for a reason. And so creating gardens is like painting with plants. You know, you, but it's like a living, it's like a living painting because you set it up, but it's always going to be changing and morphing and creating something slightly different, a different version of itself. I don't know. It, I get very excited about it. I, yeah. it's, I, I just love that, that whole, I, I, um, I know what season it is. Even if you didn't tell me what season it was, even if I weren't living here, I would know just by walking outside to see where the plants are in their life cycle. And in fact, somebody just asked this question on Facebook. It said, well, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something about, I read blah, blah, blah. What do you read? And it wasn't books. It was something else. It was like, I read people. What do you read? I read gardens. I can walk into a garden, look at the plants, look at how they're doing, look at where we are. And I can tell you all kinds of things about what's happening in that space. It's like musicians read music, right? You look at a piece of music and it's lines and circles and little flags and whatever. And you, you don't know what that music sounds like, but a musician would look at it and they hear it in their head. I look at the garden and I know just what's happening in that space. And that's just from years and years of doing it. I don't know when I started doing that, but at some point I realized I could. That's such a talent. 
yeah, that's amazing. The way you describe it, it does just sound like, like life, like art. And clearly your passion comes out even in your voice. And so we read that you really fell in love with gardening and nature and stuff at a young age, but when did you know you wanted to sort of make a career out of it? Like, what was that process like? Oh, I, this is the most accidental career you could imagine, really, <laughs> honestly. So yes, as a little kid, I liked to garden. Um, but I, I never imagined, I mean, it, that wasn't even in the realm of possibilities. You know, for one thing, well, I, I'm trying to think of which, which touch point to, to start with. When I went off to college, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and I got sent to college in North Carolina, okay? And at a time when I didn't even have a concept, and we're talking in the mid seventies, okay? I'm on the older side here. And um, I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing. I literally got sent to go. And I was supposed to become a biomedical engineer, which is laughable because I do not do well with numbers. I don't know what, I don't know, that came from like giving me aptitude tests and all this stuff. I, they must've been really bad aptitude tests because me as an engineer is like, nope, that would never happen. I don't even remember that I ever took any of the classes, but I got there and I was a fish out of water. I, you know, was a post hippie kid. And this was like North Carolina. And most of the students were from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. They got to private schools. I went to a public school. You know, I didn't even look like them, but after a while, I started seeing some other students that kind of looked a little bit like me, you know, kind of like, you know, you look and you see who your people are, right? They look like, if anybody, those are going to be my people. And I thought, and I tried by then, I tried religion major and an art history major and a bunch of different things. So I started following, I like followed them, like, where are they going? When they were going to the botany building. And so I took a botany class, not really knowing what that was. And oh my God, that was great. And I got a degree in botany and I absolutely loved it. And I went to graduate school and I was actually working on a PhD. And at some point, like in year six, which is stupid. I mean, that's like way far along. I realized, you know what, I'm, this was to, to be a bench researcher in a laboratory doing the molecular level stuff. That is not who I am. And so I said, give me the masters, I'm out of here. And um, then I became, then I went through and got another graduate degree at San Diego State in instructional design. Um, so I started developing training programs and curricula. I worked with the zoo. I did interpretive science. I did all kinds of things. It was great. I did it for a decade. It was the beginning of the, it was in the whole dot-com boom. So I got to do all kinds of technology and creating, like dreaming up whole new ways of doing things. And it was really fun. And then in the middle of that, um, I, accidentally got hired as the garden editor at San Diego Home Garden Magazine. I had already become a really fanatic home gardener. Just everywhere I lived my whole life, you know, starting from college on, I had planted and grown something. Even the summer I spent in Washington, DC, in this little patch of dirt in the alley behind the row house I lived in, I planted tomatoes. And my roommates, who were all like 10 years older than me, thought I was crazy, but I was producing tomatoes. And I'd done fellowships in organic, uh, organic farming and all kinds of things. I was just driven that way. So um, when we bought our first house and I had, it wasn't working yet, I made a big garden, just like following my intuition. 
And so anyway, I became the garden editor at San Diego Home Garden Magazine. I didn't know anything about writing about gardens other than kind of what came to me intuitively. And I essentially figured out how to do that job. And I did that for a long time. And then from that, people started asking me, different publications started asking me to write for them. So I've written for Sunset and Better Homes and Gardens. I've written for the Royal Horticultural Society in Europe and England. Um, I've worked on Sunset Western Garden book. I've published three books. You know, in the beginning of blogs, I was an early blogger. I mean, I've done all these things that are all communicating about plants and gardens. And, um, and along the way, you know, part of it, I'm just driven by intense curiosity. And as a journalist, and you guys probably know this, you can ask people questions that nobody else could ask. And that's part of the fun of being a journalist. You know, you get to ask those questions. Um, and so it, people kept asking me the whole time, you know, as all this is going along, will you help me with my garden? Will you help me with my garden? And I always said, no, 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 I can take you to the nursery and I can tell you about the plants, but I don't design gardens. And then someone asked me, like that person asked me several times before, and, and I was about to say no, and I thought, wait a minute, I didn't know how to write about gardens. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to do that. I figured all those things out. Maybe I can figure this out. And so I said to her, okay, you know, I'll charge you a reduced amount and let me see if I can figure this out. And when I started working on her garden, what I eventually realized was after talking to all these garden designers for years and years and years and talking to the homeowners who were avid gardeners and asking questions, I kind of did know how to do it. It was like I'd gone through an apprenticeship without realizing it. And so it took me a couple of years to kind of figure out my process, but I became a garden designer. So now everything I do, right? All of my communications, I have a brand new online garden school, this online, you know, that, so the online garden school and the, um, which is a membership and the seed starting workshop and all that really ties together everything I've done. It's the gardening, it's the botany, it's the science. I'm really insistent on being science-based. It's my instructional design background. Um, it's answering questions it's media, it's everything, and it all comes together. So, you know, people say to me, what do you do? It's like, um, I don't know, I wear this big hat. <laughs> There's all these things that fall under this big hat, but plants are the constant in all of it. Seems like the hat is growing. So we have more <laughs> yeah. questions. We have more questions about gardening for you, but first okay. we have a right. rapid fire round. Abby, do you want to get that started? Yeah. So yeah, these are just quick kind of like get to know you questions. Some of them are just fun ones. Um, but the first one I have for you is what is your favorite flower? Oh, don't ask me that question. What's <laughs> blooming right now? It depends uh -huh. on what's blooming right now. Right now I'm sitting in my office. I'm looking out the window at a green flowered bottle brush. You know what a bottle brush is? Uh -huh. With the red flowers? Yeah. I have one that blooms green. Wow. Like, like wow. chartreuse green. So that's one direction. Oh, and I see a coral tree that's about to bloom. It's a special coral tree. That's this big orange uh, sprays of orange flowers and um, the South African daisies are blooming bright pink. It's whatever I'm looking at, that's it. <laughs> Love it. Um, what is your favorite place in San Diego? Oh, my favorite place in San Diego. Home. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> home. Nobody, nobody said that yet, but I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty amazing home and garden. That makes sense. Um, you know, what... you have a great place that feels good to you home. 
Um, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Just to follow your heart and be true and be honest. What advice do you think you give the most as a person who often gives advice? <laughs> what I said to you before, don't get upset if your garden isn't perfect. Gardens aren't perfect. Gardening is trial and error. It's okay to fail. What's your first memory? My first memory um, is my mother pregnant shooting baskets behind our house when I must have been early before three, maybe. Your mom sounds that, cool. That's she sounds one. awesome. Yeah, that's one. And the competing memory from the same time is sweet pea, flowering sweet peas growing on a chain link fence hmm. in that same backyard. If huh. you could only eat one thing for every meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> it would be a competition between chocolate and ice cream. Chocolate ice cream? Uh, yeah, chocolate chip ice cream, maybe you get both. Chocolate chip ice cream, that's probably right, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite book? A friend of mine wrote this book years ago. It's called The Sun-Drenched Garden. Ooh, I'm writing this down. Right, Sun-Drenched Gardens. I think it's out of print, but I'm sure you can find it. It's written by my friend Jan Smithen, who um, is one of my mentors. And it is about the history of Mediterranean climate gardening, which is, this is the big, this is the big deal about what's different here. Can I digress for a second? So the, the issue, the reason that gardening is different here is because we have a different kind of, of climate. We have what's called a Mediterranean climate and it's our climate, climate pattern. Where are you guys from? Where are you from? Uh, Riverside, but then Las Vegas. Okay, and Abby, where are you from? I'm from Kansas. Okay, so Abby, where you're from, Think about it. You're from you're from the you're from a temperate climate. You're from the kind of climate that most people grow up in, where it rains. It rains in summer. Plants, trees have big fleshy leaves. In winter, it gets cold. The leaves drop, so they they break down. You have rich soil. It's acidic soil, and and the the trees are dormant through the winter. And then in spring, everything pops out, and everybody plants their garden then. And yep. that's right. And nobody worries about how much water there is. We have exactly the opposite. We have a Mediterranean, and then Christy's going down, right? We have a Mediterranean climate. Our rain falls between roughly November and March. So it's been getting a little bit later. And we have no rain in summer. That's why people like to come here because we've got these beautiful, long, hot, dry summers. Because of that, our plants have tiny leaves because they're trying to survive the heat and the dry. So they have to make it through that long, hot, dry period without any water and they have to survive that. So when you look at our hillsides, our native plants have little leaves, they have hard leaves, they have gray leaves, they have fuzzy leaves, they're succulent. We don't have that big volume of organic matter to fall on the ground and build up those wonderful soils. So our soils are really lean, meaning there's not much organic matter in them. And, um, what did I get? I got the, oh, and our soils are alkaline instead of acidic. So all the gardening information that's out there, 99.9% .9 of it doesn't apply here. Hmm. It doesn't apply Interesting. here. That's, so people, you know, they say to me, I looked it up on Google. Well, yeah, you looked it up on Google, but it's not going to work. This makes because, me feel better about my shortcomings. 
<laughs> this is exactly what happened. So when I got into gardening and I started traveling, for one thing, when I went off to North Carolina and, and experienced a different kind of climate, I didn't know any better. I thought every place was like this. You know, it's hot and dry in the summer and it rains in the winter. But then I went off to North Carolina and it's like, oh, this is different. And then over time, I started traveling more. And especially once I became a garden journalist, you know, I go around the world looking at gardens, but largely around the US. And I, it hit me why everything is so different here. There's five Mediterranean regions of the world. And there's us, there's the area right around the Mediterranean Sea, right? So Greece in the south of France, Italy, all that. There is the west coast of Chile. There's the southern tip of, of South Africa. And there's Western and, and the Western and Southwestern coast of Australia. That's it. Tiny, tiny areas, the most biodiversity in, in the entire world. And that's why in, in, you know, when I first moved to San Diego in the era when everything was tropical or English, well, you don't see that much anymore. Hopefully you don't see that much anymore because those are really thirsty gardens. The plants that we grow well are California natives, Australian natives, um, uh, Mediterranean natives, South African natives, right? Plants that come from climate similar to ours. People come here who are expert gardeners in Kansas, Michigan, Boston, and they have to start all over. Mm -hmm. You know, so so it's just it's a whole different ballgame, and that is what that's what I figured out, and that's why. The methods that I teach are successful because it takes into account what works here. Gardening is regional. It's hyper-regional. What I talk about works from, you know, it works all over California, you know, except the mountains, but, but primarily from Santa Barbara south. Even though if you're in the central coast, San Francisco, it's fine, but really hyper-local. And, um, but, but there are almost nobody else does what I do in this region. And that's why people look to me because I understand the climate, the plants, the science, you know, how all that works. And this is this is the skill set that I kind of evolved. This is why I said, you know, like there's no direct path. I kind of fell into this. I could communicate about it. I could write about it. I could talk about it. I could teach about it. I could do video, you know, all those things I could do and understand the science and the, the garden behind it. What are some of your favorite gardens in San Diego? Oh, public gardens or private gardens? Uh, ones that we could visit, hopefully, yeah. but go ahead and say whatever you want. <laughs> um, well, I have several friends and, and you know people around San Diego who have wonderful private gardens, but yes, you could, you, you'd have to go with me to get, to get in. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> Luckily, we know you now. <laughs> I, I do tours, you know, from time to time I do tours and especially as we come out of the, the quarantine, you know, we're going to be doing some of those. Um, you know, the, our jewel is San Diego Botanic Garden and that is only getting better and better over time. In fact, we just, you know, um, the last two episodes of The Growing Passion that debuted last week and the week before, both of those were about San Diego Botanic Garden. One was on the collections and, you know, the beautiful gardens and the other was on the conservation work and the science that underpinnings of the garden because people don't realize it's beautiful, but it's got a deeper purpose and meaning than just having pretty gardens for us to go look at. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's the jewel. That's one jewel. The other jewel, of course, is Balboa Park, um, which, you know, is, is inspiring in many different ways because it's got the historical underpinnings as well. But I also love to go to like 
the zoo and, and the zoo safari park, right? Other people, when, when they go, they go to look at the animals. I'm looking at the plants. We, we did an episode of A Growing Passion actually about that, but um, I'm looking at the plants. I'm getting inspiration from the plants because they've got wonderful collections of plants there. Those are, those are the places that come to mind right away. I'll probably think of six more when we, we finish talking, but um, <laughs> those are the places that I think of. Awesome. Well, luckily you are so engaging with the public. I mean, people can find you on Facebook, ask you questions, watch your show, read your column in the Union Tribune. Uh, we do, as our last thing, want to mention that you were named the 2021 San Diego uh, Horticulturist of the Year by the Yay. San Diego Horticultural <laughs> Society. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank um, you. So the last question is just kind of what does that award mean to you? And because you're so helpful to everyone else, you know, you have this expertise, you could just spend all your time having this elaborate, you know, wonderful garden, which I'm sure you do. But you give so much of your advice to others and you do this show and you do this column. So what is it that you want to kind of impart, you know, as this expert, as this person who uh, is passionate, you know, what is the like lasting kind of drive for you to uh, be involved in horticulture and share what you know? Okay, I'm going to say this and you're going to think I'm, you know, like silly, but I, I believe that I, that we can save the world through gardening. I think that, you know, we have this climate crisis and part of the solution to the climate, climate crisis is growing appropriate, is, is growing more plants, right? Growing more plants in general. Um, and I want people to understand how to grow, how to have gardens that have the smallest carbon footprint and the biggest reward. So that, that drives me. And the other thing that drives me is as a, as a journalist, um, you know, I, I, because I don't know, I write a funny line. I'm not like, the investigative reporter that I don't have to worry about that stuff. I can become friends with the people that I write about. And actually I've written about many, many, many friends over the years and I can be objective and I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's features. It's not, you know, opinion or investigative journalism. Um, and, and through the process that I've used to um, research things, because I always research everything. I am the lucky recipient of many, many experts' advice, information, knowledge. They, they share, have shared freely with me. And many of those people have aged out and they're gone or they're not involved anymore. So I have so much content. My computer hard drive and my, this hard drive, like my brain hard drive, <laughs> they are filled with content. And people want that content. And I feel like it's my responsibility now that I have all of this to kind of make sure it gets disseminated because if I don't, what was the point? You know, people want this information. I have the information. I'm just trying to get it out there in as many different media to reach as many people as possible because that creates happy, successful gardeners. And you know, people want to be happy, successful gardeners. I have that ability. I'm blessed to have that ability. And I have the knowledge because I've talked to so many people because they've shared their information with me. It doesn't just spring out of my head, but I'm the conduit for this. And I feel like that is now, I'm at the point in my life where that is my charge. I, I need to make sure that that information that I've been privileged to gain now gets out, you know, 
as many ways as possible, reaches as many people as possible so that they can have that information. And so it continues into more generations. Thank you, Nan, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, please tell a friend. And if you have a little extra time, rate or review us on your favorite app. You can find us on social media at NameDropSD, and you can get in touch by email at NameDropSD at gmail.com. I'm Christy Totten, co-host of NameDrop San Diego with Abby Hamblin. We'll be back next week.